Well, good morning. I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on. And today we're going to be in Revelation chapter 7. Uh, as we continue through this series in Revelation, uh, we're now in chapter 7. And uh, if you're not sure how to find Revelation, uh, I've got some uh, instructions on the screen behind me. Uh, or if you've got the Bible app downloaded on your device, uh, there are some instructions on this screen to help you locate us in the Bible app. And you can follow along right there. You can uh, see the passages that we are going to be studying and you can see all of the uh, uh, points that we'll be going through. So, uh, so feel free to hop on the Bible app and look uh, from there. Now, I'm super excited this morning because I got this really awesome letter from my brother that lives back in Texas in my hometown. And it's so good, I've got to read it to you this morning. Uh, so, so listen uh, to this, and, and once you hear it, I'm sure you'll understand why I'm so excited about this particular letter. It says, hey Chad, this is your marked brother, the worker of metal that is not metal. The recovering one from 13 and 17. I saw something the other day that you might be interested in. I was driving along and came to the place of yellow and red. And when I turned to face the south wind, I came to the booth that was rolled by the so green. I couldn't help but think of the damage done to the silver, but the little done to the so green, and the rejoicing that we had in its destructive strength. So the so green is still in town, but is diminished from its former glory. But I foresee a day when it will be restored to its former place of honor by the monkey on Grinnell. Everybody understand? You see why I'm so excited about this letter that I got from my brother? As I read it, were you trying to figure out what all the references were? Now, before I explain the letter, let me ask you a question. Does Revelation sound like that sometimes? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes you read through Revelation and you're like, what? Of, there are four creatures and they've got wings and their eyes inside and outside of their... I'm so confused, right? Revelation does that to us. So, so let me come back to my letter from my brother. Let me explain some of the references. Uh, and let me, let me just ask you, how many of you think you understand completely what this letter tells about? Nobody? Really? Well, let me explain it to you. So, the marked brother. There's a reference to a marked brother. So I have a brother uh, who's named Chade. So, Chad with an E on the end, Chade. And he has tattoos all over his body. Uh, I mean, he's one of those guys that he has them from his neck all the way down to the top of his feet. He's just covered, he's marked. Uh, and he is a painter by trade. My dad had a painting company uh, growing up. He paints, painted houses. And when my dad passed, my brother took the company and he has become quite the artist, actually. And he has uh, gotten certified uh, with a company that makes a paint that, with metal in it. And when you paint it and then polish it in a certain way, it looks exactly like a sheet of metal. And he travels all over the United States 
putting this application on mansions and high-end hotels. He was just in Philadelphia a few months back doing the, the hotel that sits right next to Liberty Hall and redoing the lobby in this faux metal. So he's the worker of metal that is not metal. Then there's the reference to the recovering one from 13 and 17. My brother is also a recovering alcoholic and just celebrated six years of sobriety. And he got sober the last time he had a drink was the 13th of February, 2017. Are you seeing the references yet? Let me keep going. There's the place of yellow and red. So he talks about in the letter that he was driving through town. And he came to the place of the yellow and red. We have a sonic drive through in our town. And the big sign on the sonic drive through is black and red and yellow. And it's one of the only fast food places. I come from a tiny town. There's a McDonald's and a Sonic. And that's about all the fast food you can find in this little town. And so, everybody recognizes that particular sign. He says, when I turn to face the south wind, there's some of the booths, some of the drive-ins in this sonic face the south. So, when he turned to face the south wind, he said, I came to the booth that was rolled by So Green. Now, when I was in high school, I had a 1974 GMC pickup truck that was lime green. And the interior was avocado green. And when I bought that truck, I was going through Spanish class in high school. And one of my friends nicknamed the truck Ton Verde, which means so green. And so in town, that was what my truck was called. And one day when I came to the Sonic drive-in, which was one of the hangout spots, think small town, dragging main, Sonic was one of the places you'd stop and hang out with your friends, I pulled into the booth and this is one of those Sonics that had those little aluminum trays under the order menu, and I pulled in too fast as a dumb high schooler, sorry, and my truck hit the corner of that aluminum tray and literally rolled it like a burrito. And he did almost nothing to my truck. (laughs) So he came to the place, to the booth that was rolled by the So Green and couldn't think, couldn't help but think of the damage done to the silver and the little done to the So Green. You see where I'm going? Are you getting the references now? And rejoicing in its destructive strength. So the still green, the so green is still in town, but it's diminished from its former glory. When I, uh, right before I graduated, my family and I decided that that gas guzzling pickup was not the best thing to have to take to college. And so we sold that truck and I got a little car. And so that truck is still sitting in a mechanic's house in Perryton, in my hometown. And so it's diminished from its former glory. It's basically just sitting there collecting dust. Uh, But he says, I foresee a day when it will be restored to its former place of honor by the monkey on Grinnell. Now, what's a nickname for a mechanic? A grease monkey. And the place, the mechanic in Perryton where my truck, my old truck is sitting, his house, his, his shop sits on a street called Grinnell Street. Now, let me ask you something. Without me explaining all of these little details, would you have any clue what this letter said? Guys, please hear me on this. Revelation is exactly the same way. Revelation goes through 
and has all of these meanings, but these meanings are backloaded with Old Testament references like crazy and Roman cultural references. That if you don't study the Old Testament references, you will never get the meaning. You have to understand that the truck sits on a, in a shop on Grinnell Street. You have to understand that the place of yellow and red is a sonic drive-through. If you don't get the Old Testament references, you will not understand Revelation. It's just packed full. So let me give you an example. Today we're going to be in chapter 7. Yesterday, or, or last week we were in chapter 6. In chapter 6 and 7 alone, there are dozens, and I'm not talking two dozen, I'm talking dozens of Old Testament references. And if you don't understand those Old Testament references, and when you see them, go back and read what the Old Testament says there, the meaning of Re Revelation will elude you. You'll miss all of it. And so one of the things that I'm striving to do in this series is to help you see all of these references or, or the, the majority of the, these references so that you can understand what it's meaning. So here's my challenge to you. When you sit down with the book of Revelation, too many of us sit down with the book of Revelation with a newspaper next to us, right? And we're taking what's said in Revelation and we're comparing it to what we see happening in the world around us. And Pastor Keith made a great reference to that at the beginning of the service this morning when we read Revelation 7. He goes, how many of you read or see the news and you just kind of walk away hopeless? Revelation 7 and all of Revelation is designed not to make us feel hopeless, but to give us hope. So when you read the book of Revelation, put the newspaper away and open up your Old Testament and read it in light of what John is pointing back to. So let's dive into today's passage and see what's going on. Turn to Revelation chapter 7. So last week... If you will remember, the seven seals are opened and these four horsemen are released on the world and they're bringing chaos and destruction with them. And there's those who were the, 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 the martyrs of the great tribulation are crying out to God, when is all of this going to end? And God says, give me just a little more time because there are more martyrs to come. And they must join you first. And then we go through uh, and we see that uh, what happens with those different martyrs and how all this happens. And then chapter 6 concludes with the sixth seal being opened and all the peoples of the earth that do not follow Jesus are crying out and hiding themselves because they're afraid of the power that's being poured out from the throne room of God through Jesus. Recall that because chapters 6 and 7 are linked together. You can't read 6 without reading 7. You can't read 7 without reading 6. So, 
let's start with chapter 7. We're just going to start with the first two verses. It says this, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and the sea. Okay, now stop there for a second. We'll, we'll, we'll hear what the angel has to say in just a moment. But, but let me give you the Old Testament reference here. The four winds of the earth, if you go read back to the Old Testament reference, the four winds are the four horsemen of chapter 6. How do we know that? Because the four horsemen of chapter 6 comes directly from the book of Zechariah chapter 6. If you open up Zechariah in the Old Testament, chapter 6, the first eight verses, Zechariah 6, 1 through 8, you're going to read about these four chariots with horses, and they're all the same colors as what's in Revelation, Revelation 6, and they're bringing the same things with them that Revelation 6 brings. But then when you get to Zechariah chapter 6, verse 5, right in the middle of that entire section, that passage, it stops calling them chariots and horsemen and begins calling them the four winds. Oh, now that changes what we're reading in Revelation 7, doesn't it? Because once you see John's reference to Zechariah 6, you see that the four horsemen and the four winds are synonymous terms for the same thing. And so here in chapter 7, an angel has come and he has been told to hold back the four winds. So what is he doing? The seals, the first four seals were broken. These four horsemen are released. They're bringing destruction with them. And what is the angel told? Okay, the horsemen are released. Hold them back for a second, right? So, let's keep reading. Verse 3. This is what the angel says. Verse 3. Saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Okay, so, so these four horsemen have been released. They're bringing destruction. And an angel comes out with four more angels. And the main angel says, okay, you four guys, you four angels, hold back the horsemen. Because we have to seal the servants. The followers of Jesus have to be sealed on their foreheads. We've got to stamp God's seal on the followers of Jesus before this destruction comes. Now let's keep going. If you keep reading through this, what is the seal of God? Well, the seal of God, if you read the rest of the Bible, the seal of God is his ownership of his followers. He would seal those. Now this is a New Testament reference in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. It says this, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. 
So what is the seal of God on us? It's God's own spirit. It's the Holy Spirit of God sealing us for his purpose. It is our guarantee. And I alluded to this earlier in the prayer time. When we are followers, when we become believers in Jesus, there is nothing that can take us away from Jesus. There is no demonic power. There is no deception. There is no idolatry. There's no sin. There's no mistake you can make. You can't be anything or do anything to separate you from the salvation of Jesus. Romans repeatedly, go read the book of Romans. Romans repeatedly promises, that, promises us this fact. So the seal here in Revelation 7 that are on the foreheads of those who are followers of Jesus, that seal is literally the Holy Spirit within us. He guarantees our saving from sin. And so the four horsemen are being held back so that the Holy Spirit can be poured into the people of God. Are you with me so far? If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 that I just read you, if you keep reading it, it guarantees that every person who believes in Jesus will have the seal, will have the Holy Spirit guaranteeing their salvation, their rescue from sin in Jesus. So, you are, as a follower of Jesus, guaranteed to belong to him, and he will never let you go. You with me? Now let's keep going. If you were to go through and read chapters, or verses 4 uh, through 12, you're going to read about this 144,000. Now we're going to get into some confusing stuff here in a minute that has a million different interpretations to it. But where have we been going this entire time? And I'm not just talking this morning. I'm talking from the point we began this series in Revelation. Where have we been going? What has been the overall arching theme to this series? Back in the back, will you put our series graphic back up on the screen? Sorry, I kind of surprised our tech team. That was our Easter graphic, and it's tied to the graphic that we're using for this series. But what was the main word there? Hope. Hope. Jesus gives us hope. Guys, the world is not going to get better, more than likely. Our society is not probably, uh, it could happen, there are some ways you can interpret the Bible that does say maybe the, the, all of society is going to make a hard right turn and follow Jesus again. But more than likely, this world's not going to get better. It's not going to become more godly. It's going to go the other direction, correct? And as Pastor Keith mentioned this morning during the reading from Revelation 7 that we read through together, there are times when you're going to look at the world around you, you're going to look at the circumstances of your own life, and you're going to feel really hopeless. You're going to feel like there's no way 
that there can come redemption, that there can come redeeming from all of the mess that our world is, the sin has gotten our world into. And that brings me to today's big idea. This is the idea that I want you to walk away from. If you don't hear anything today, I want you to walk away with this one statement and it's simply this. Last week was trust in God, this week it's hope in God. If you don't hear anything today, hear this. You can place your hope in God. He, if you're a follower of Jesus, he has sealed you with his Holy Spirit. You are his. And no matter how bad things get in your own life or how bad things get in this world, he has you in his very capable, sovereign hands. Your eternity is guaranteed. You can always hope in God. Always. He is our hope. So now let's get into the confusing part that I alluded to. Starting in verse 4, it gives us a list of 144,000 groups of people or people within groups. And these groups are subdivided or broken up into 12 groups. Actually, these groups are the 12 tribes of Israel. And there's 12,000 coming from each of these 12 tribes. Now, when you take 12,000 and you multiply it by 12, what do you get? 144,000. Now, remember a few weeks back, I talked about how numbers are really important to understanding the symbolism that Revelation is trying to convey to us. What does 12 mean in the Bible? When you look back and you see the number 12 through the Old and New Testament, what is it always referring to? It's always referring to the chosen people of God, right? So these 12,000 times 12 is a symbolic gesture pointing us to the chosen people of God, but specifically the Israelite chosen people of God. Jewish people who are chosen, the Jewish tribes. Now let me just say quickly, because there are some of you in this room that have studied Revelation extensively, this listing of the tribes of Israel is completely unique. You will not find this particular listing, this order, this type, anywhere in God's word. Couple of unique factors. Judah is the first one listed. If you go back in the Old Testament and look at the listings of the tribes of Israel, Reuben is always the first one listed because Reuben's the firstborn. But here, Judah is the first one listed because Judah is the tribe that Jesus came out of. It is the tribe that the scepter, the ruling scepter of the king would come from. So Judah is the leading tribe. Couple of other interesting things here. Joseph is listed. Remember, Joseph was one of Jacob's 12 sons, but he had two sons that became half tribes Manasseh and Ephraim. Now, Manasseh is listed with Joseph, but Ephraim is not. And so you don't find that anywhere in the Old Testament. Lastly, there's a son that Jacob had named Dan, and there was a tribe of Dan. And it's not listed at all in this list. It's completely missing. 
Now I'm going to tell you, no one really knows why it's listed this way. There are dozens of theories. For example, Dan. Uh, Dan uh, started declining as a tribe after the book of Judges. If you read the end of the book of Judges, you're going to find that Daniel began, the tribe of Daniel began really not just not following God, but really dove into idolatry and ungodly behavior. They were the first tribe to just go head first into idolatry and never really bounced back. So that's one idea, but there are a dozen other ideas why Dan's not included. Just know that this list is unique, but this list is most likely the Jewish followers of Jesus because we get this repetition of 12 and it's linked to 12 tribes or subsets of the nation of Israel. But it doesn't end there. Look with me in verse 9. Verse 9 says, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell to their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now, who's this group of people, this multitude who are in white robes? Well, this group of people is the Gentile followers of Jesus. So we had the followers of Jesus from the tribes of Israel. Now we have the multitudes of the Gentiles. What's a Gentile? A Gentile was a term used in biblical days for anyone who was not a Jewish person. So a Greek, a Roman, a, someone from Turkey, someone who's an American who doesn't have Jewish roots, someone, you know, all the people who does not have Jewish ancestry would be considered a Gentile. So we've got the people of Israel and we've got everybody else, right? And it says the number of the people of Israel is 144,000, but the people that are Gentiles are uncountable. They are a multitude. John's telling us that the salvation found in Jesus is available to all people. But uh, let me point out an interesting fact for you Bible nerds out there. How do we know this? How do we know that these two groups both together uh, are the sealed people of God? Well, if you go back into chapter 5, you might remember. Remember throne room of God and the, God has the scroll in his hand and uh, Somebody asks who's worthy for, uh, to take the scroll from God's hand. Nobody's found to be worthy. And what happens? John starts crying and one of the elders comes up to John and says, John, shh, stop crying because guess what? Someone who's worthy has come. Look, he says, look. Or no, he says here, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And what does John do? He says, I turned and I saw what? A lamb that had been slain. So he first heard the description. He heard the lion of the tribe of Judah, but then when he looked and saw, he saw a lamb. Both of them are the same person, right? Both of the lion and the lamb are Jesus, correct? Yes. 
Now there's a pattern that John uses in Revelation where he hears something first and then he turns to look and the thing he heard and the thing he saw are the exact same thing. And guess what happens here in chapter 7? In chapter 7, in verse 4, look with me in verse 4. And I heard the number of the sealed. Now jump down to verse 9. And after this, I looked, and behold, I saw a multitude. The hearing and the seeing together is John's way of saying, all the people that I'm hearing and all the people that I'm seeing belong to the same group, and that group are those who are sealed by the Holy Spirit because of their belief in Jesus. Are you with me so far? Jewish people can be saved in Jesus. Gentile people can be saved from their sins if they know Jesus. You see, these two groups that John hears first and sees second are the same group of the sealed, chosen followers of Jesus. And another piece of evidence on this is if you go to Revelation chapter 14. So seven chapters later, Revelation 14, it says this, then I looked and behold on Mount Zion stood the lamb and with him 144,000 of who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Isn't that exactly what they said the sealed would look like in, here in chapter seven? And so this group is the sealed followers. The seal is the name in chapter 14. The seal is the name of the lamb and the father on their foreheads. It's the Holy Spirit. You've got the full trinity right there. And this seal is in contrast, get ready those of you who just love Revelation, here we go. This seal that is on the foreheads of those who are the chosen followers of Jesus is in contrast to the mark of the beast that we're going to see, start seeing in chapter 13. Because in the mark, with the mark of the beast, we will see that the mark is the actual name of the beast. What's the mark of the sealed? It's the name of the lamb and the father, right? Every person belongs to something. Two weeks ago, I talked about how heaven isn't for good people, heaven is for purchased people. You see, before you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are possessed, you belong, you are the possession of sin. The Bible is abundantly clear. You are a slave to sin. You are dead in your sin before you come to know Jesus. In other words, the mark of the beast is basically what you have until the seal of the lamb comes on you. Everyone's got a mark. Everyone has a mark of possession on them. You either belong to sin or you belong to Jesus, one of the two. There's no in-between. There's nothing around that. You've got one of two things that control you and your, your future. So, my question today is this. What seal do you have? 
Do you belong to Jesus or do you belong to sin? Have you been redeemed through the name of the Father and the Lamb with the seal of the Holy Spirit on you? Or do you still belong to the world and to sin and destruction and death and punishment? Those are the only two options. There's no in between. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't be good enough or do enough good things or donate enough money to get yourself free from the bondage that sin has you in. It owns you. And until you believe in Jesus with everything you are and commit your life to him and follow him, until that happens, you belong to sin. And your eternal destiny is punishment, eternal punishment. But look at what else happens here. Notice something that's gonna take place with all of these people. Look with me again at verse 12. So these are singing praises and then everybody else in heaven that we saw back in chapters four and five, they start singing a praise and worship song and they say, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And I said to him, sir, you know, And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. And then look at what it says in verses 15 through 17. Therefore, so again, this elder is explaining to John who these people are and what their future is. Therefore, they are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple and he who sits on the throne will what? Shelter them with his presence. But this is the best part. We read it earlier this morning. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them. Guys, we're coming into summer in Arizona. This passage should speak to you, right? The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. We should understand that passage more than most in this world, right? Verse 17, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be what? Their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's a promise, isn't it? little thing to point out to you if you think back to what I said about the last chapter the last chapter chapter 6 ends with the sixth seal being opened and all of those who do not follow Jesus go into hiding because they see the power of God pouring from his throne through Jesus the lamb and they go into hiding and what do they say they say who can stand in the midst of this Well, chapter seven is the answer to that question. When they ask, who can stand in the midst of the tribulation that's gonna come? Who can stand? The sealed by the Holy Spirit can stand. Guys, things aren't gonna get better. 
things are going to get way worse. If you want to stand in the tribulation that's coming, the only way to do so is to be sealed by Jesus. And how do you do that? You believe in Jesus, who he is, what he did on that cross, that he rose from the grave, and you commit your life to him, and you live for him. That's how we stand in the midst of the difficult times that we have in our lives. We can have hope in God if we have Jesus. We can stand because we have the power and the might and the authority of Jesus flowing through us because we have the Holy Spirit guaranteeing us, sealing us in the name of Jesus. So my question here is, do you have Jesus? Do you believe in him? Have you committed your life to following Jesus? Are you sealed? If you can't answer yes to that question, I want to tell you this. I would love to talk to you about what that looks like. You can know exactly who you belong to. And I would love to talk to you about what that means and what that looks like. And so if you've got questions about following Jesus, if you want to know more, if you want to commit your life to him, I want you to do one of two things. We're going to close in a song and have a time where you can come down here to the altar. Uh, one of our elders, Alan, is going to be down here at the front. And if you want to know more about following Jesus, talk to Elder Alan. If you want to know more and you want to talk to me, I'll be out in the foyer. But come talk to someone. Get your questions answered about Jesus. But as sealed followers of Jesus, here's the guarantee we're given in verses 15 through 17. We'll stand in the throne room of God. We will be sheltered, protected by him. We will not hunger. We will not thirst. We will not suffer or experience pain. The sun's heat will not affect us. Amen. <laughs> You're going to really connect with it. You're going to think back to this passage here in another month. And you're going to go, Lord, I want to be where the scorching heat doesn't touch me. And lastly, Jesus will guide us. And he will love us. And he will comfort us. It says he'll wipe away the tears from our eyes. He will be our love. And he will be our comfort. But hear me clearly, that is only available to those who follow Jesus. Will you make the decision today to take that next step in your journey with Jesus? Remember, we can have hope in God. Look at those words on that screen. We can have hope in God no matter what's going on in the world, no matter where our culture or the world goes, no matter how many wars or natural disasters or, or how many Christians are persecuted, we can have hope in God. And we can stand in it because we belong to him. You can have hope in him. Join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this book. And we thank you for the hope that it brings. We thank you that we don't have to live in uncertainty 
about what's going on in our life. We don't have to not know whether we can stand in the trials and the difficulties of our lives and of this world. We can know that we can stand because we have Jesus. And Lord, I pray for every person here, every person watching online. Lord, I pray that you would help us to believe in you and commit our lives to you so that we can stand, so that we can be redeemed, so that we can be sealed by your Holy Spirit. Lord, use this time and use this week to help us to point people to the life-changing hope of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.